Explode your to-be-read pile with The New Release Index, your new best friend for finding the best new books. Curated by the book nerds here at Book Riot, it will help you keep track of the upcoming books we think should be on your radar. You can filter by genre, what's trending among other subscribers, and save books to your own watch list. And you can check out the demo at bookriot.com slash new releases. That's bookriot.com slash new releases. Happy browsing. This is the Book Riot Podcast. It's a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. Today is Thursday, April 13th, 2023. I'm Jeff O'Neill here with Rebecca Shinsky coming to you from bookriot.com. Rebecca, hello. Hello. You're coming in hot. You know, trying. If spring is not springing here. I went out and got underneath, I got under the hood of spring here in Portland this morning, you mm-hmm. know, and I was like trying to see what's going you on. You tinkering? They just kind of moving stuff around. I got out a monkey wrench, a vice, lug wrench. I couldn't pick out a lug wrench How's out of a lineup. Can't get it running. Won't, won't turn over. Won't start. I don't know. Have you checked your bag of like random leftover Ikea parts and various Oh, do you think I need a dongle? Does, does it wrenches? need a dongle? Spring needs a, a dongle and here. an Allen wrench. I think yeah. that's what you need. You try to turn it off and back on again. <laughs> Blow on the cartridge, ma'am. Ames has gotten into trivia recently, and so we got some just oh. not even the game of Trivial Pursuit, just like the expansion decks, and just have been asking questions, okay. which has been fun. And uh, there was a '80s deck. Um, which I'll have you know that Michelle and I rolled over our children um, like of like thunder down did. a mountain, which they still want to do the questions. But one of them was about, I can't remember the wording of the question, which is like kids in the 80s did this routinely to try to get their video games to work. <laughs> and the answer was blow into the cartridge. And I, I looked mm-hmm. I looked Ames dead in the eye and said, I literally have done that hundreds of times. That's a real thing. Hundreds. Yeah. It is a for real him, it was, solution. For him, it was like getting out in front of a tin Lizzie and like, you know, kind of like manually starting it with that crank. That was the equivalent <laughs> sort of cultural reference uh, to him. I know. I was playing uh, Mario Kart with a friend that I was visiting mm. recently with her kids on Switch. And like, you know, the Switch hooked up to the big TV. Yeah. The controllers are really small now. And we waited 10 minutes because Mario Kart was downloading new characters and new courses. And I had to do like everything in my power not to be like in my time. You got five of whatever to start that's with right. on the game, and that's all you ever had. That's all you ever had. <laughs> and you were happy and, about it. You had your five courses, and you loved them. Yeah, we subscribe to like PlayStation subscription service where some games are free every mm-hmm. month. Like They kind of turn them over, which is great because you can, you can play cool. a bunch of things. And we haven't played the PlayStation that long. It was a Christmas gift, and I haven't video gamed in a while. And you can just sort of sample it. Like Netflix for games is part of the PlayStation thing. It's pretty awesome. But I told him, I was like, you realize... When I was a kid, if I spent $60 on a game, that was my game for two to three months, if not more, until I got yes. birthday money or Christmas rolled around, where he plays a game for 45 minutes, not into it, he moves on to the next one. Again, it's better. It's a great price. It's like $15 a better. month. I don't begrudge him. But the reason I got really good at Super Tecmo Bowl is not because I love <laughs> Super Tecmo Bowl. It's because that is the game that I had. I'm pretty confident that I could beat Mario Brothers 3 right now if you put it in front of me for that that same reason. Get that Tanuki suit and go. (laughs) Yep. Well, that's enough intro. Let's do our first sponsor. Explode your to-be-read pile with The New Release Index, your new best friend for finding the best new books. Curated by the book nerds here at Book Riot, it will help you keep track of the upcoming books we think should be on your radar. You can filter by genre, what's trending among other subscribers, and save books to your own watch list. And you can check out the demo at bookriot.com slash new releases. That's bookriot.com slash new releases. Happy browsing. A few reminders. First edition is up. Episode one is going. Rebecca and I picking the It Books of April. I was looking at bestsellers of last week, and I think I missed one. Is this a tease? Mm. I can maybe tease this. Jeanette Walls has a new novel out in April. And it sold. It like premiered at number, uh, debuted at like number five on the MPD Bookscan hardcover fiction list. I just, I like Jeanette Walls. I apparently have no read on how popular she is because it moved like 12,000 copies, which is big for, that's mid-list, what's even the hook? Uh, 
So I don't know if I would have put that back. So Rebecca and I did a power or a mm-hmm. knockout round. Had ten books. Jeanette Wall's new book, which I can't remember the flipping title of. That's how on the radar it was for me. I'll probably read it eventually. I like Jeanette Wall's. I love the Glass Castle. I missed that one. So that, but that's going to happen. But we're trying to pick the it book. It's hard. We're just two people. We're just two podcasters standing in front of publishing, asking it for data. And sometimes we get it wrong. But it was a lot of fun. On the other hand, I think I got it, it mostly right. But in terms of the top so. 10, I think I would have had to put Jeanette Walls on there. And I'm going to learn this. I'm going to have to pick my spot with debut authors. Maybe I can put one on there if there's a lot of heat. But like we we're talking about mm-hmm. the House of Cotton, my Monica Brashears, I put it on that list. You and I both really liked it. It just doesn't really have a chance unless it gets picked by Barnes and Noble or whatever. Right. It's just not going to have this. a chance. We know this. So I think I'm going to augment a little bit to have here's the 10 and then a couple of honorable mentions of books I just want to shout out that are interesting, long shots, dark horses, but don't really have um, a real shot. I'm looking at May. May is very top heavy. <laughs> it is. May Is it May 6th is the first Tuesday in May? Whatever that first Tuesday in May is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was just starting to do research for our summer new books draft that we'll do on the mm-hmm. Patreon in a couple of weeks earlier this week. And that like that first Tuesday of May is yeah. going to be a big day. Big day. Tough. And then there's some other stuff there, but it's, it's, it's a, it's a top heavier. And then June and the fall, the fall is a mess. Mm-hmm. September is going to be, we have to expend it to 78 oh, titles for the knockout round. I'm not sure. What we're gonna yeah. Do. I'm not ready for what September and October are going to be like for drafting. Yeah. Are you ready for, for Colson Whitehead to knock out Zadie Smith? Are you ready to do this? <sighs> Colson Whitehead's in the summer. Oh, that's right. He's in July. It's going to be, it's, there's Thank something just, it's, it's Lauren Groff against Zadie Smith. Somehow that's worse and better. I don't know what we're going to do that's about true. this. <laughs> what have we done? Well, we Created can each pick one. We won't have to take them both off the board. We'll see. There's, no, but know, for the knockout round said, for September, we've got a different oh, thing. Yeah. We can't pick them both. This is what I've done to us. That's true. It was super fun. Well, I got a lot of good feedback on the episode, and everyone loved that. Everyone's loved that segment. Everyone's written back, so they love that. They like the interviews too, but not surprising. People coming from this show like to hear us talk about it, but they really like the format. We're going to do it next month. I think we're going on a going basis. First edition, wherever you get your podcast, there's links in the show notes to the Substack, Twitter, all that yeah. kind of stuff. But I look sorry. forward to that becoming my favorite half hour on the phone on podcasting yes. every month, doing yeah, that round. That's a really that. good time. Yeah. Okay. And then the deep dive, which is book ride subscription newsletter through Substack. Um, check that out in the show notes as well. Check out all the stuff going on there. I don't want to spend too much time on this because I don't want to spend any time on this, but I sp- I'd spend, I, I already spent time we didn't want to spend on the rumor that there was a Harry Potter reboot coming, and lo and behold, that was correct. And we don't hear, preface, preface, caveat, caveat. We here at Book Riot are not interested in shouting out J.K. Rowling joints because of her transphobic stuff. At some point, you've got to talk about the news, and we're not going to talk. We're talking about this in the context of J.K. Rowling's transphobic. To me, that's the highlight. Is this? Mm-hmm. I don't know how to say this, Rebecca. The most hmm, super. Throw in the superlative you want. It's Rowling for the last thirty years in books. Yeah. Maybe not the most artistic. And I think also the signal envelope pushing cultural movement of the last decade and probably the next decade will be about trans rights. Um, yes. And they've collided. Let me put it this different way. J.K. Rowling has decided to use her considerable influence and platform to do and say really hurtful and painful um, and damaging things about trans people. And at the worst possible moment for this discourse, she's coming in, and HBO has decided to come in and fund a 10-year-long, this is official news, there's a link in their show notes, reboot of the original Harry Potter series. So we're going to start at whatever privet drive, and we're going to go all the way through All Was Well over the course of 10 years, Um if Rowling was even just a neutral observer, I would be really into how are they going to break this up and talk. I don't want to do that because that's mm-hmm. giving too much shine yeah. to this. The story yeah, here for me would... is A, that it's happening at all. And then B is, you know how I said it was going to go great? The discourse, this was going to go great for HBO. It's already going sideways, um, just yeah. as we suspected. It's This is otherwise the kind of thing we would be 
even if we weren't super excited about the content ourselves, we'd be interested watchers of it, interested observers. We would probably want to do some adaptation nation kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. We'd be making predictions about content for days, podcasts, newsletters, whatever, for weeks, decades worth of content here. Right. A literal decade worth of content. We would be yes. wondering how they were going to maybe update or change the stories, any ways that they were going Posting to be, you know, the intentionally trailers, casting, right, news, intentionally more diverse in the way that most media has become intentionally more diverse. And we won't be doing any of that for mm-hmm. all of the reasons that you have just listed. And this is just going to be a thing. Uh, Variety had a piece yesterday. Uh, covering the press conference right after this announcement. And this is like, not for nothing, this is not just an announcement that HBO is making. This is the project that HBO has announced at the same time that they are saying, we're not just doing HBO Max anymore. Now we are Warner Brothers Discovery, the the big parent company, is holding everything together. It's called Max. It has a great tagline. I envy the copywriter who wrote The Mm, One to Watch as the tagline for Max. That's really good. The One to Watch. Yeah, for the streaming service. Okay, good job. Pretty good. Yeah. yeah, good job to that copywriter. But this literal, first of all, who announces a decade-long TV series? <laughs> like, that's a lot of confidence that you know what the next decade in streaming is going to be like. And that's mm. a bold move. But Casey Bloys, the chairman and CEO of HBO and now of Max Content, has declined to comment on Rowling's views, and he was asked if Rowling's views might affect their ability to find talent for the series, which is a really interesting way to pose that question. Not just, will you have a hard time getting viewers? How is this going to affect your relationship to the viewing public? Because you're going to be casting nine-year-olds and they're going to be asking about TERFs. Right. I mean, have fun with that. Right. Yeah. And and adults who are interested in having yeah. long-running careers outside of appearing in this new series and after their time on however long they're on this decade-long series goes. And will this be a scarlet letter on your career if you're associated with it? He declined to comment. You know, he said part of it is that their priority is that is what's on screen. The story of Harry Potter is affirmative and positive and about self-acceptance, and that's their priority. But then he also says... That's a very online conversation, very nuanced and complicated and not something we're going to get into. And I think calling this a very online conversation is a real misunderstanding. It was maybe a very online conversation the first time J.K. Rowling said what she said, which I believe was in an interview. And the interview got sort of passed around Twitter. And then she tweeted some things. And then she gave another interview. And she doubled down. And like, this is the thing that she's been doing now for the last about half a decade, saying Mm -hmm. pretty terrible things about trans people, and doubling down on them and having it be passed around. But this is like, not just an online thing. The New York Times has covered this in multiple places. It has reached mainstream media. I was wondering aloud last week, like, how much does the mainstream media consumer care about this? And I conducted a very unscientific poll oh. of people in my life who are not book people to be like, do you know do you that any there's all this, this transphobic stuff, yeah. right, with J.K. Rowling? Do the people in your life or, like, in your Facebook feed who aren't professional book people, mm-hmm. do they talk about it? And everybody said, yes, I've heard about this. One person said, I think you can assume anybody between the ages of 20 and 40 who reads books has heard about it. I was like, that's interesting. And this was a person who just is a normal person in their life who reads a couple books every year. Casey Bloys has got the data for what people watch on HBO. And the Harry Potter franchise has spent a not small amount of time on HBO Max. It's moved yeah, the right around seem to from move streaming around. services. It's weird. I don't quite understand that. Which, Yeah, which is weird. It's currently back on HBO Max. Hmm. And I would guess that what's going on here is he has he has seen the discourse and he's also seeing what I would assume are still a lot of people watching Harry Potter. And I understand how you get to people are watching this original series. There's a lot of affection for it. We can make a remake and capitalize on this affection for this product, this franchise mm-hmm. and keep going. We can make it go for another decade. We're going to take it to the moon. I think that's a big assumption. It is a big assumption that, you know, while I think there are folks who are aware of all the problematic, awful stuff that Rowling has done, but who will still, you know, let themselves sit down and watch an old Harry Potter movie because they have attachment to it and because the kinds of things that she has said are not present in the content of the story. They're going to put their kids in front of it because those movies are, you know, sweet and affirming, whatever. 
But can you get a casually interested person who's aware of it to care about a new franchise that they don't have attachment to from when they were a kid or a young adult? And and to be part of this discourse, it's it's really interesting. Like Bob and I were talking about how this might connect to some of you know the criticism um, of Michael Jordan back from the '80s when he's first yeah. selling. We just saw Air this weekend, so it's Michael Jordan on the brain. But where he kind of declines to comment on politics because he says Republicans buy shoes too. Right. And I wonder if that's some of what's going on here with Casey Bloys. Conservative people watch HBO too. We don't want to alienate anybody by making a statement. But so much stuff that's on HBO tilts progressive. I've not seen their subscriber stats, but if I were a betting woman, I would bet that the HBO subscribership leans progressive as well. And I just have a lot of questions about the assumptions that are being made here yeah. and and the harm that's caused by continuing to promote someone who has said and done such harmful things. I don't have a lot to add. I mean, we could do a series of of segments on a whole bunch of things related to this. Um, I guess what I'll say is from a business point of view, I think it's an unassailable decision in terms of a property. I've said for a long time, it's still the juggernaut Mm -hmm. for cultural, whatever that you get rolling attached with it. I think probably changes that to some degree. I don't know how much, right. Can you, can it's an, it's a meteor of zeitgeist does Rowling impacting herself on the side of it change the trajectory enough that it misses Earth or, or, or hits Earth or whatever the, the bad outcome for HBO is? I don't know the answer to that. I do know the video game Hogwarts Legacy came out and it was a smash mm-hmm. hit and had all the similar yes. kind of thing attached to it. Now, a reboot HBO 10 seasons of the original shit stuff, oops, sorry, I edited myself there, <laughs> is different than a video game. Also, right. Rowling, this, Legacy was not, really overseen by Rowling. They bought the rights from her somehow. I'm sure they can't do whatever, but Rowling is an executive producer here. This is not Rowling in the background, sort of this happens to be her property. She's making decisions. You have an exec producer thing here. This question's not going away. Um, It's going to be continued to be asked. I Mm -hmm. think there is a Woody Allen situation possibly here um, in terms of you're not going to get the A-list talent. You're not going to get people... Yeah, and what that does to it, um, I don't, I don't want to equate them in terms of why people didn't want to work with them. I'm just saying that they're a similar dynamic of you doing this means you're going to ask questions for the rest of your life. It's different than Daniel Radcliffe and Emma Watson or Alan Rickman. Well, Alan Rickman's dead, but people who signed on for the original, this stuff wasn't hanging around their neck when they signed on. We're doing press conferences right. and going right. to fan cons around this. It's different now. I wonder if this was their first choice. Because mm. if it were me, my first choice, if I could do anything with Harry Potter, I'd get the original cast back together for the further adventures of Harry Potter. My guess is Emma Watson and Rupert Grant and Daniel Radcliffe don't want to touch up the 10-foot pole for a lot of reasons, but the pole got yeah. longer because of Rowling's positions about trans rights. Well, yeah. I mean, Daniel Radcliffe is actively involved yeah. in you know LGBTQ activism and working with the Trevor Project. I've seen Emma Watson and Rupert Grant make mm-hmm. similar statements. I think it's a really interesting wonder about what did HBO set out for, what were they hoping for, and how did they yeah. land on this idea? Man, I cannot get over decade long. What a big bet to place! And this with this timing, I think we can't help but also think about sort of the inverted version of this that's happening with Bud Light right now, where yeah, they featured. Right a trans influencer, a trans woman model on in new advertisements. And they've lost billions of dollars in the last like two weeks because the customer, like a a right-leaning customer base of Bud Light Mm -hmm. will not tolerate this. There's a risk here that far-right folks rally around J.K. Rowling and the stuff that she has said and make this a property that they latch onto, which is not an affiliation, I think, HBO would want to have. That's not the kind of crowd HBO's going for. They're go they they lean and market themselves towards, you know, a highbrow, intelligent consumers and media viewers. And I just also would like to see the left have that same kind of really vociferous coordinated response. It's reprehensible that people won't buy beer because a trans person is in an ad. Like let me be yeah. unequivocal and very clear. I would like to see the left have an equally strong response, though, to how this is being done, uh, to how an artist who has produced 
beloved work, but said really, really awful things. And as, as you said at the top of the segment, this is what she's decided to do with her power and her platform. And she doesn't have any intention, it seems, to have an open mind or to try to learn about it or to come around. There's like doubling down on top of doubling down. How are we going to respond really? And there just has to be a point where we say, okay, yeah, I loved those stories, but it's not worth it to me Mm -hmm. anymore. And I, I think that what you said last week about this maybe igniting a corner of the cultural war might be right. Uh, it'll be interesting to see also how this progresses between now and the time that that series launches. But I don't know. That was my question today after everything that people long? are seeing online and all the coverage. is like, no, what does Casey Blois think today? Is he like, yep, that went about right. how I thought. I'm serious. Because yeah. like, maybe mm-hmm. they, maybe you've, you've done a little discounted free cash flow of um, goodwill already and it still pencils out. I, I can, Or yeah, are you, so. if you say that's an extremely online conversation and you misunderestimate it so badly, mm-hmm. are you today like, what have we, what are we doing? I don't know. Right. Like it's not, it's not just what the like 13% of the country that's on Twitter <laughs> that's aware of this anymore mm-hmm. and that cares about it. It's not chronically online folks exclusively. Lots of mainstream media coverage has reached this place yeah. of being aware and covering J.K. Rowling. And employees, I'm sure, is fully aware of what that conversation is. Um, the yeah. Attributing it to being extremely, extremely online, I think, is an attempt to dismiss it. But it's going to be a real case study in the power of IP in a mm-hmm. way that I don't think we've seen before. To have something we haven't, I with Marvel or Star Wars or uh, I'm, I'm just trying to, you know, DC, The Hobbit, and Game of Thrones, all of these juggernauts that have come through, they haven't come along with problematic fave stuff. I mean, there's a little bit of the Game of Thrones, and that's about depiction, and that's part of the text, and on the whole, I, but it's not about the creator being for people who tend to care more about culture with a capital C. We haven't seen one like this. We haven't yeah, seen. It's almost can it break through? Can 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 the snowball pick up the kind of protest mm-hmm. and um, resistance and discourse with a lowercase d, not capital D? Can it just steamroll it? Or for something to be a juggernaut, it has to have no friction. And will enough friction be put yeah. up that it's that's not going to work? It's, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, it's. I think it's. It's so complicated by the fact that it's about the creator and not about the content of the thing. Because with Game of Thrones, especially, you know, like people talked about, I haven't seen it. Um, It's really rapey, but it's not like Mm -hmm. George R.R. Martin is out here being a rape apologist. You know, like there's a clear division between him and the world he's created and the actions that his characters take. And there seems to be a relatively clear division between J.K. Rowling and the world that she's created and the things her characters say, but it's not a good one. Like she could do well to give herself a little dose of the Hogwarts magic and tolerance. And, you know, attempting to learn some stuff. But that's like when it is about the content, I think it's a more straightforward decision for people of am I going to watch this or not? Do I want to watch rapey content? Yes or no. Hmm. Do I want to watch Harry Potter when I like the content, but I don't like the creator? I think is a more difficult decision for a lot of folks because you're you have to deny yourself something you would enjoy whereas when it's in the content you're opting out of something you already know that you're not interested in or that you don't yeah. want to subject yourself to viewing. And people have done some acrobatics around well I have you know I already have my Harry Potter on the shelf so if I read it and like it I'm not really contributing to the rolling verse right I'm not going to be true with mm-hmm. this you're going to have a subscription or you ain't. Um Right. And you, what if you have a subscription to HBO Max and don't watch it? Well, you still have a subscription to HBO Max, or Max, I guess, in this case. It's going to be... Um, yeah, it's, it's, I feel terribly for the trans people um, mm-hmm. out there that have this person in this world, which is so beloved. And I'd say, I'd, I'd say in my household, this is, we, we like these movies. We like these books. We've listened to them together. And the relationship is weird and compromised, and I'm not excited about this. In a different world, I would be really, really My family would be really excited to see this. Yeah. And we've talked to them and told them why. Um, we haven't talked about this news specifically, but we've talked about rolling and what that means. And their schools are really good about gender issues. And mm. you know, Rowan's part of a queer student alliance, even though she's, at this point, that's she's an ally um, in that situation. It's front and center, and I think you're right. I think 
you know, this is something that I've been constantly surprised by in terms of the pedagogy. And again, some of it's where I live than where I grew up, but like none of this was a conversation when I was 10. No. And it is a conversation now. And this, this move is hoping it, I mean, there's no other way to put this. This move HBO is making is hoping that doesn't matter. Hoping that dynamic shift yeah. doesn't matter. Is there another way to say this? And I don't know. I think that's the only way to say it. They yeah, hope it doesn't you know, matter. And as, as we're talking, I keep coming back to the way that the reporter posed the question to Casey Bloys of will this make it more difficult for you to get talent? And if he thinks, if he really does think that this is an extremely online conversation, he has neglected to consider that actors today uh-huh. who aren't already famous do have to exist online and they uh-huh. will receive all kinds of feedback and they will be bullied. And if you have any kind of platform and following, if you've been in like anything that you have fans and a chunk of them lean, you know, liberal <laughs> and you're going to be in this show, you're going to hear about it. They yeah. have, they've got to make that decision for, do I want this for my career? Do I want this for my mental health? Do I want to be on Instagram getting the kinds of messages that I'm going to get about why I chose to take money to do this thing. And that, will it be worth it? Like, can they actually get 10 years worth of people to act in this as it continues to happen? Because it's it, this is not an exclusively very online thing, but it does happen online because the internet is part of our world and part of our yeah. life today. Mm-hmm. And everyone affiliated with it, people who sign on to write for this show are going to have to like decide, do they want to be on Twitter or will this impact their Substack subscription? Are they going to get invited to be on the same kinds of yeah. TV industry podcasts that other people are or will they be? you know, blackballed or pushed to the side because of of affiliation with this. It's a real moment for like, how do you want your career to go? This is probably going to be a pretty sweet paycheck, but will it be worth it in the long run? Well, and it's one thing, like, think of where the the conversation is now. I can only imagine in four to five years when this is in the middle of things that we're going to be further down the line. Mm -hmm. This, I mean, this is only to get, I think the course of history is not even, Um, things go badly, I do think over time, I mean, I've just seen in my own life with gay rights, just to use one example, that's mm-hmm. probably the closest corollary. It's a different world than I could have imagined at 13. Oh, I think, absolutely. I hope, I believe and I hope through the work of time and then activism and a lot of pain and people putting their bodies on their line, just like with gay rights. I'm not saying it's easy or inevitable. But in five years, I think the conversation will proceed even further. And then in 10 years, mm-hmm. and then I think you could be looking real bad as it as Bloys, HBO, yeah, it's the a, whole thing in 10 years. Yeah, what is Casey Bloys thinking about his legacy today and how will he feel about it in five years is a really great question. And, or do they even do they even think, I mean, that's, that's assuming that they've done the risk assessment that you and I are doing. Maybe we have different that's macroeconomic true. models about culture, about how this is working. Because if I think what we're both saying is if they're working off our same sort of climate model for this, they're, they're, they're moving to Duluth, Minnesota on this. They're not getting anywhere close to this situation. Yeah. They, they may think that, it, yeah, it doesn't matter in the way that we think. And if it does, it's still worth doing. And boy, that's a hard place. That's a hard place to, yeah. I don't know, to feel any sympathy or, or generous reading of for me personally. Yeah. All right. Um, Hopefully we won't have to say much about this again for a long time. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what... We don't want to cover this except to cover the coverage and like the macro cultural ideas because I think it matters in the world of books reading. I think a lot of people who read books and care about books are wrestling with issues like this around this particular series mm-hmm. and then how this plays out in a bunch of different ways. But unless there, you know, unless there's direct discourse around how... HBO makes a statement around trans rights or Rowling does or someone who gets cast is we're not going to be covering this as a product on its own terms um, going forward. So got to go somewhere else for that. Uh, Let's take our second uh, sponsor break. I needed to transition out of that. So we did our second sponsor a little bit earlier today, but you know, we we got nine seconds. Um, People will hear some ads in there. We got nine seconds. Shake it off. Yeah. Uh, First quarter (laughs) bestsellers. I've oh, got baby. zero interesting things to say. <laughs> same. It's the same list of uninteresting things we say about most big lists of bestsellers. It's 24 white people or 24 books by white people. Uh, 
Colleen Hoover is half of the top ten. But Prince Harry holding it down with number one spare sold I, I don't know, one point Rebecca. just over one point one million units. Oh, I'm sorry. I cut out there for a second. I have to edit that out. I, I don't know. Spare. I guess Spare is the story of the year. It, now it seems like a million years ago. Yeah, it does. It seems like a million years ago. It's you know, it sold 1.1 million units, which is about what Colleen Hoover's n- books in number two and number three sold combined. It starts with us mm-hmm. and it ends with us. Each sold about 550,000. I'm softening the numbers a little bit. Um, spare one of those cultural events that's not a book event. I think like a lot of people picked up spare, but the book world didn't talk about it really that much before it came out, talked about it a little bit as it came out and is not continuing (laughs) to talk about Mm -hmm. it in any other year, a book that sold a million units in three months. We're talking about the content of it and like the cultural significance, but a giant celebrity memoir that not for nothing, like he gave so many interviews that you don't have to buy the book to know what's going on. In there, it, it feels like a non-story. There's nothing surprising about the fact no. that a former royal, like a royal who's now, I guess, basically a former royal who has been all over the news and has made a very public life for himself in talking about why he's leaving the royalty and that way of living. Like, okay, of course, that's yeah. going to sell a lot of books. <laughs> if you Here had to pick, I don't know. Is there, <laughs> what's the most interesting thing on this list? Is it spare? Maybe I, you know, I continue to be surprised that lessons in chemistry That's where I was, was so big last year and is continuing to hold it down. It is said we, and we both really liked yeah. the book, but it's a weirdo of a book and has some surprising elements, deals with some difficult stuff that you don't mm-hmm. necessarily know it's going to deal with. And I, I think it does just have something kind of magical about it that folks are enjoying because it's continuing to sell very well and there's a tv series coming out later this year but i think that is the most interesting thing about this list is that bonnie garmus was such a surprise bestseller and and it's holding it down consistently it wasn't a flash in the pan yeah number one best-selling hardcover fiction book last week according to bookstand moving Mm -hmm. twelve thousand copies so it's right there i'm looking on amazon right now 134,000 ratings um so you shouldn't be waiting to get this in paperback, is what I'm saying. We're going to have a Crawdad's uh, two-and-a-half-year right. run of they, Lessons in Chemistry. I hope it gets to Crawdad's bet- run with a good series coming out from Apple. The book is way more interesting mm-hmm. the book than, than Crawdad's. So it's not even close. Um, you know, if, if I had every book in the world to pick from to get Crawdad's run, I wouldn't pick Lessons in Chemistry, but that's neither here nor there. I'm very much in the in favor of this being the kind of book that people are yes. going to pick up because it's the kind of book people pick up and it has that recursive um, self-reinforcing cycle. Glad to see it. To yeah, see it. me, I'm, I am too. I'm glad to see Daisy Jones and the Six is at number 11. I think that's on the heels of the Amazon series mm-hmm. coming out. But, you know, Taylor Jenkins Reid hasn't needed much help selling any of her debut novels. No, <laughs> so. no. I was She's looking at last great. week's we, bestsellers compared to this list just to see because I, I feel like, and I could be wrong, the Colleen Hoover tide going out a little bit and that's gonna you know it's gonna take some time because there's so much power but she's this is gonna sound wild to say but she's only got two of the top 20 best-selling books of the week last week which in any normal person Mm -hmm. be like this is the biggest thing of the year but when you're coming (laughs) off was it last summer where like she had eight it was like eight of the top eight of the top 10 or something yeah yeah right it was like seven of the top 10 Mm-hmm. So that seems to be waiting. I do think maybe it's like a wildflower. Though. There's not enough dry tinder out there. Like you've burned through the floor. You know, I mean, uh, <laughs> all of us should um, decline in such a fashion. But it does seem to be petering out. Um, yeah, it well, feels it like it's away, slowing but, down. Yeah. yeah, even though she was named one of Time's most influential people just today. I don't know if you saw that list. It came out today. I did not see that in. list. I'm sure she loves the attention. <laughs> Poor Colleen Hoover. Yeah, there are a couple other, uh, who are the other writers? Um, Neil Gaiman. Uh, They broke it up in a weird way because I thought it would only be, there's like artists, icons, pioneers, but it has nothing to do with anything. Like you could be a a writer (laughs) and be in the artists or the pioneers or the icons. 
less clear to me. There's a librarian that was named by someone, which is Minjin Lee wrote a, um, this woman's name. I don't know. Love I don't know. Me, we'll talk about it next week. But uh, I saw Colleen Hoover. Her little blurb was written written by Jenna Bush Hager, which I thought was very very interesting <laughs> to see. Jenna Bush Hager is like. Actually, I'm just going to go ahead and put my money down. I bet in the next couple of years we get a Jenna Bush Hager imprint. I think that's coming. Yeah, she's like really kind of insinuating herself into the book scene. If you're doing what she does, is that a lateral move though? I mean, why do you care? You're making TV money. TV money is so different than book money. It's not even. Why does Sarah Jessica Parker care? Because she already made all the TV money. Well, yeah. So, I mean, Jenna Bush Hager's not hurting for. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, like, Sarah, Sarah, I mean, it's a it's a fair point, and I'm only wrestling with it because I think you're right. So, having said that, uh, or <laughs> I think the point is well taken, except that Hager has the platform right now, where Sarah just a park, like she talks, she puts a book on TV once well, a month and talks know? about the author. And Parker was off Sex of the City, and even if she was still on Sex of the City, there's not like a SJP recommends nine minute interlude in the middle of the episode. Like it's a different I situation. Just, I just think all roads lead back to vocational awe with this publishing stuff, you know, that you can be as famous and as rich as Jenna Bush Hager is, and you get to talk about books and recommend them on air and have a book club that helps people pick out books and that maybe influences sales, even though no one has ever done good data around it. But the idea, if you're, if you grew up being the kind of person who wants to do that, the idea of like, I could be not just someone who consumes books and recommends them, but helps create them. Super magical. I think it just has a lot of pull. And presumably the celebrities who take these imprint offers aren't doing it because there are boatloads of money attached. Yeah, <laughs> There's uh, something about getting to, be, getting to be part of making books and you're a person who loves books. And they don't really have to give up anything to be able to do it because they're not like 22-year-old college graduates who are going to take a low paying job just to work in the industry that they love. They've already positioned themselves to do a whole bunch of other successful things. And now you also get to say you're helping, you know, publish books. And if you're a person, do you think your show books, would I let her like shout her own book as part of the book club that she, that seems like a weird, oh. we've talked about this before. With, I don't like, know the if Oprah they'd let her pick right? her own like, book as a, so yeah. Strange. Yeah, I don't know if they would yeah. let her pick her own book, but I'm sure they'd let her talk about it on the show. Yeah, Jenna pick, picks Jenna books. There is there's there's an Oribus <laughs> nature to that. I know we've talked about this before of like the celebrity yeah, yeah. influencer. It's one thing if you're pointing to that one over there. It's another one where you're picking your own book week after week, right. month after. I, I just don't know if that right. works. And here's um, my thing, right? <laughs> yeah, right. I'm just uh, I'm just not really sure. Speaking about here's my thing. Um, this is my favorite <laughs> Good segue. nothing burger. Um, <laughs> I'm glad this exists. I should say this right away. I'm glad this exists. I don't love the the social media headlines that I saw, mm-hmm. which was, you'll never believe what I found out in, when I went to go investigate <laughs> Barack Obama's reading list. This is by Sofa, Sophie Vershbo Versh, in um, Esquire. And the thing I'll never believe is, I don't know what the thing I wasn't supposed to leave was, because the nut of this here is, and I think this is worth reading because she talks to a bunch of people in the book industry. The thing we won't believe is he seems to actually like books. Is that what I wasn't supposed to believe (laughs) in my clickbaity headline, Rebecca? Is that your sense of what that would have been? I think so. It's it's such a bait and switch headline. And I've been, the longer that I've had this piece. She didn't write that. They don't write that. That's not the author's Yeah, not Sophie's fault. Don't come for Sophie. No. But in the couple of days since this piece landed, I've gotten like increasingly salty about it because it's oh. like several thousand words that are basically no new information about how this book list gets made. She asks people in publishing if they try to pitch Obama's list. Everyone evades the question of like, well, of course we would hope, but no one says yes or no. Like, yes, we try to get books to him or no, we've never tried it. <laughs> Mm. there's one like pretty direct answer where somebody at uh, penguin random house which of course publishes the obamas says what he does is up to him we don't try to get our books in his hands like and i think that's a good you want you want to have that division and let him you know mm-hmm. make his list you you don't want to try to like use the president as your influencer <laughs> if you're penguin random house not a great move so I'm, I'm glad that they didn't do that but there's like 
she I think Sophie asks all the right questions here of all the right people and the people don't really give helpful answers. The closest we get to an answer is Eric Schultz, who was a senior advisor. That's, that's the, and a that was the one for me. Secretary. That was the, the most interesting one for me as well. Yeah, he he said that emails from book publicists have no bearing on what Obama chooses to read and release as part of his reading list. Obama's taste is, quote, a reflection of the inputs he has. Okay, what are those inputs then? That's a thing. <laughs> that is the piece I want to read. And we're not going to get it unless you get Obama on the record. And that's the thing she couldn't get. And right. you can't, this is goes back to the old logic of you can't prove a negative. You can't, you can't prove the absence of influence or whatever. I mean, he's got to be influenced by something. He's not. He's not going into a bookstore with no knowledge of anything. Picking out books. None of us do this. Okay, that's right. fair. That's and fine. Is acknowledging it here. Yeah. He's a reflection of the inputs he has. But so he has, I would like to know what are the inputs. Yeah. What are the inputs? right? Is it you know like I got up this morning. I saw a book review in the New York Times. My friend told me about a book yeah. they read. Something came across my Instagram, and I heard an interview on a podcast. And those are some inputs I had. Okay, what are the inputs? And like clearly, Obama is a consumer of media. He reads a lot of books. He makes lists of them. He listens to a lot of. Music. He makes curated Spotify lists. I think he even does movie lists. Like he is li- like any of us. He's, as you were saying, getting those like ideas for what to pick up somewhere. Even if no one is curating for him, he's got sources. And that is the question. I, I understand how this piece gets written because this writer gets assigned to go do this thing. And so yeah. she investigates and then she's going to write a couple thousand words about her investigation. But it feels pretty similar to me to the Wired interview with Brandon Sanderson a couple of weeks ago that was like, I had to go write a piece about Brandon Sanderson and here's my 4,000 words about how I have nothing to say. Like, this is much less egregious than that was, but there is nothing to say here, except Obama has inputs. It's real. You have to take our word for it, which it was already what we were having to do. Yeah, I guess. No, I don't think anyone had said any. I, I appreciate the piece because it asked the same kind of question I would ask. That, I mean, I, you know, it's, it's just like, it's like um, printing null results of an experiment in scientific journals. We get, we get um, success bias because only successful with notable That's experiments. True. I don't mind this at all because she did the work. These are real quotes. This is now part of the record. Some point, Obama's going to say something about this. And it's either going to confirm this or it's going to deny this. In both cases, this is an interesting historical document to me. Some of the people went on the record. The piece I take issue with is not anything Sophie did. I think she did everything she could to get a quote. She got pretty close to someone who, you know, deputy press secretary Mm -hmm. that's really involved in public communications. He is unequivocal here. This is not a staff-led exercise. These lists come from him. But I disagree, he says, comma, and I think if it was, it wouldn't pass the smell test. These lists wouldn't be mm. as salient or get as much traction if it wasn't coming from him directly. I think that's false. I think you could fake the list he puts up. Because you know why? We've looked at the list. We're like, is this my list? If you had people <laughs> right. around him that cared about books in any particular way and were paying attention to book media at all, you could make a list that passed the smell test. You absolutely could. You could totally fake this. And that's why we're confused. 100%. And that's the only reason we have right. this question. Because there's not a paragraph from him that explains anything about it. It's like a sentence that is it's it's about it, but it's pretty generic. It's not like I'm not sure that Chat, chat yeah. GPT could do it, but Chat GPT with a little spin <laughs> maybe could. You know, Sam. Like it's not, it's not, it's not inconceivable that this is ginned up in a way that we wouldn't like. Right. Whatever that would look like. I don't think it is. And I don't know what the it, purpose of that would be I don't, right now. Yeah, I don't think it is either. Especially because he really started doing them after he left office and has really not much, if anything, to gain from having done it. And Sophie does interview like some other bloggers and influencers and book talk folks who are skeptical, too suspicious to outright disbelieve that Obama actually reads these books and makes these lists. I don't understand what there would be for them to gain from doing it. I do think you could pretty, if you wanted to fake this list, you could, I agree. Fake it pretty easily because we have a a very good sense of the kind of thinker. We should do that, Rebecca, for a segment. Oh. When did he release we these should, things? Usually in December, or like maybe June and December. Yeah, we should we should do a guessing about what will be on the Obama list because um, we know like the kind of thinker he is, generally what he's interested yeah. in, and yeah. a pretty eclectic approach, but also relatively safe. He's not usually picking anything that's like super edgy. So I think we could 
that would be a fun exercise to do. Mm-hmm. I think I've always believed that they were books he read and reflections of his taste I because I would bet on that. I have a lot of uh, from I have a lot of faith from having watched him lead for eight years and listening to him speak for eight years that this is a person who is reading a lot of books and thinking about the world in a deep way. So I haven't been confused about what is the source of these or did his advisors help him pick which books to put on this list i've been totally willing to believe that those were genuine i just want to know what the inputs are yeah, man what's the discovery what's the search and destroy mechanism and, here and to be fair it's also probably as boring as everyone else's answers are like you know it just i talk to my friends i see things on the internet yeah. i read reviews it's just that like his friends are famous many of them or more well, interesting or have access to other kinds of information a little disingenuous yeah. about he's not influenced but like if oprah is like dude you've got to read this right. Nap- napolitano <laughs> book is that your friend or is that a publicist that's like not normal he's not getting them from normal ways except he is if that makes sense like that might be a normal yeah. thing for him that like those are the people in his life that influence him but like you influence me and I influence you, but that's not how other mm-hmm. people are. They're not influenced by professional book people, but just so happens <laughs> right, that we also give each other's recommendations. Right. And it's interesting to think about like the people in your life and my life that are kind of secondarily influenced by each of us. Like yes. I read a thing that you've recommended to me or that a publicist that I trust has sent me. We trust pub- there's some on. publicists we trust. We listen to publicists. I think right. that would be okay to admit here. I don't think anyone would be like, oh, yeah, God, we this do. is a bunch of fakeness. Yeah, anyway, sorry. I interrupted. Yeah, no, I think it is okay to admit you have some you trust, you have some that are fine, and then you have some that you probably don't trust very much. But that if I take a recommendation from one of those sources that's inside the industry and I give it to one of my like book reading normie friends outside mm-hmm. the industry, they've then been influenced in a way that their other, like the other members of their book club haven't because those folks are just going to Barnes and Noble and looking what's on the table. But that member of the book club has access to somebody who has access to the industry. And Obama's in a similar, but much fancier kind of Mm -hmm. ecosystem. Mm -hmm. I would love to hear him talk about it. He's been doing some podcast interviews recently. He has a literary agent and an eight figure deal at crown. There are people he knows in publishing. Let's let's get that off the table. Yeah, that is, you know what that I he really is completely want. Chinese wall off from publishing is a canard. Do not believe that. Yeah, I, I don't believe. I don't believe that true. either. And you know, I would love the last three questions on every episode episode of the Ezra Klein show are: What are three books you would recommend for our audience? And the person has to talk about them. It's like yeah. these three things, and here's why. I just want an hour of that. What are you Mm -hmm. recommending? Where did you learn about it? Why are you recommending it? What is interesting to you about these titles? Because when we look at his list, I can guess, we can guess, we've done it on this show for years about like, oh yeah, it makes sense to me he read that and seems to be in the wheelhouse of the stuff he's interested in. You can imagine what the paragraph he would write would be about those books. But yeah, I I don't want to knock Sophie. This is a hard thing, a hard question to try to get answers to. I think I'm frustrated on her behalf that the real question is what are those inputs and how difficult it seems to be to get someone to talk about that, which also like, why does it need to be that difficult? There's probably not anything really secretive or surprising. I guess there's that piece of doubt too. It's like why I'm assuming that a reporter for Esquire can at least get a no comment from someone close to the current Obamas, right? Like, why plead right. the fifth on this? <laughs> but also, there are like twelve people in the world, and we're two of them who care this much about what Obama's reading. List no, this one pretty. Are. This did a lot of. I saw this all over Book Twitter. Like we were. I mean, it yeah. was. This got passed around. So I mean, I'm. Yeah. This is the kind of thing I like to be on there for. A, I saw this first on there, but I could see like. Did this get any pickup? But you saw there was some pickup because people are interested. And I think it speaks to his mythos, his sensibility, the continued interest in him as a person and thinker, that there's a hunger just to like know more about his reading life. And these picks are interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, if I could only pick 12 books a year to read and I had to like pre-select who would pick them for me and sort of like as a public figure, I'm picking Obama's list uh, from the ones I yeah. see. I-, I think you could mm-hmm. do a lot worse. So some of it is just sort of a feeling of kinship, right? Of like, are you are you reading the tweets? Like, what are you doing? I like. I also could believe these are the kind of books yeah. that if all he did was read the New York book New York Times book review every Sunday, he could get the same list. That would be very plausible. Yeah, he to could me. get He's very a little bit older than us. Mm-hmm. 
I think that could be a very, he's like, I read the New York Times book review. You know, I read the news. I read the Washington Post. These are all the kind of books that tend to get picked there. That would explain the norminess NPR. of it. NPR. Dude's listening to yeah. a lot of NPR. Yeah, he's listening to Terry Gross. Yeah. Totally believe that. Does that make him basic reader? Sure. Is that a good thing for people to know? Absolutely. So, you know, yes. whatever. He can do whatever he wants. He's not doing anyone any disservice here. But it feels, I do think there's something weird about, at this point, he te- he cares enough about books to make these lists and post them on Instagram, but then not to go to the next step to be like, answer a reporter's question about, just even a comment. Like, yeah, I like to read. Mm-hmm. That's enough. Maybe that feels like you're... Maybe that feels like you're um, deigning to even entertain that it's something other than that. I mean, I wonder what the approach um, to this is like. Yeah, yeah, I would love an approach that's like, what are the last five books that you loved? And where did you learn about them? Mm-hmm. You know, that would be yeah. something like that would be interesting. So anyway, because here's the framing I don't <laughs> like. I set out to expose a secret apparatus of industry shenanigans. What I found was more shocking. Uh, could yeah, we just okay. do... I want to poke we just, holes. Could we just do... <laughs> I was really interested in how this list was made, and I was trying to figure it out. And this is what I figured also, out. Also, the existence of a secret apparatus of industry shenanigans would imply that these lists are doing something noticeable enough. Or is getting like kickbacks from the publishers sales. to name them or something? Right, right. Either this list is influential and is affecting sales, which is not something that we've seen any evidence or conversation about. Yeah. Or people think that he's like taking kickbacks, which is also not something we've seen any evidence or conversation about. Like, why would there need to be a secret scaffolding of stuff around making this list appear? Because if you're going to go to all of the work to do that, it would be for some kind of gain. And yeah. best I've seen in the seven years he's been making these lists he's not gaining anything from it. And I don't think that publishers are gaining anything from it. It's not like any of the books on his list have spiked in sales the week after at he the releases minger, at the, at the margins, the list. I would think. It makes him feel good. Maybe. maybe they move a few units. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't seem like Right. Like, ma- and, you know, if, if you get to go tell an author that you publish that they made it onto President Obama's best books of the year list, maybe that's a great day if you're a book publicist. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, that would be a nice thing to be able to point to. But there's like this list has for as much as I love these lists that I'm interested in what President Obama reads and has to say about it. There is no like concrete utility to it, to the book no. industry. It's no, not helping so. move units. So why would there be secret shenanigans? <laughs> yeah. And here I'll, I'll go a bit further. Even if he was getting a bunch of pitches for books from publicists and he was like looking through his arcs, which... A is not happening. Great. <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah. Get books to her. I mean, that's fun. I, I don't what, see the problem with that. What I want to know is, do President Obama's requests on NetGalley ever get turned down? Look, I'm waiting on yellow face. I don't know what I have to do with William Morrow. I can't, I can't bring myself to humble myself and use your login, which I know I can do, but I cannot bring myself to do it. <laughs> or to send a well-placed, don't you know who I am, email. I, I don't have it in me, Rebecca. I don't. I don't have it in me. You know this. I me. really know you don't. I do. I can't do it. I will and grinch about you're it in, publicly, but... You're in good company because Barack Obama's not doing that either. Do you think he could get a yellow face copy? Yellow face I'm is pretty a, that's, sure that that's, if that's, he... That's, that might be number one with a bullet on my guess Obama's list. Right now, oh, I've yes. got the late Americans in yellow face, not to... Not to step on our main knockout conversations, but... Yeah. Uh, I think that if he has a friend or an associate email somebody in publishing, or if he touches base with his editor at PRH and says, hey, saw your publishing, this title I'm interested in, can I see an early copy? He's getting it. His assistant (laughs) is getting that copy for him. So I'm going, if I'm off the dome, Poverty by Matthew Desmond... Um, the Late okay. Americans, Yellow Face, The Whitehead. Definitely The Whitehead. And the News 80 Smith. News 80 Smith. I don't keep up with the political history books outside of The, the Poverty yeah. by Matthew Desmond. And the Lauren, the last couple Lauren Groff books have made his list. We've got a Lauren Groff this mm. year. That's going to The Nicole Chung, The Living Remedy is a lot about healthcare failure, and that's something he cared about. Actually, one question I had about that. Obamacare was available in Oregon for that, so I'm not... I'm not exactly sure what happened, mm. but that's one that 
crosses the literary stream with the policy stream, I could yeah. easily see that being on his list at the end of the year. We're only I would believe the that two. the Rick Rubin Creative Act might show. Oh my God, that's a great call. I would not call. be shocked. <laughs> right? Jack Black Jesus is definitely going to be on that list. I think all I want in life now is for Barack Obama and Rick Rubin to talk to each other on a 900 hour long podcast. Where do you think Rick Rubin gets his books? Does he does he summon them in a in an incantation? <laughs> There's definitely a cauldron involved. Actually, no, because he decided not to have his kidney removed or something because he wandered into a bookstore and a science book was happened to be open about why you should have oh, your appendix out. He right. just wanders into bookstores barefoot and lets the universe call to him. Yeah, you know he nice lives in California. They've they've got a lot of. Good it's easier to be barefoot options. in California, show title. It is easier um, to be barefoot in California. Maybe the Eleanor Catton, Burnham Wood. I wouldn't be surprised to see that. Um, yeah, it feels a little... Maybe. 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 I, I, I would go a little bit more um, the Rebecca Mackay. It's a little more, mm. I don't know, mainstream, weirdly. Like, they're they're literally thrillers, right? I think Mackay's yeah. got the juice. That book seems to be selling pretty well. Uh, yeah, and S.A. Cosby last... has made his list a couple times, so there's a new one of those yeah, this year. Those. Yeah. We're stepping on our future episode, Jeff. We're just well, guessing now. Well, we've got now. eight months. People forget. I'll forget. <laughs> I'm getting old, Rebecca. Right. Before. Uh, last story. We're not going to... We'll save some front leads for for next week. I thought there's a... Speaking of long profiles, this was a really good one in Wired of Andy Hunter yeah, and Bookshop. There's a lot to be learned. This, this is a company we followed on this show, but also in the interesting news. We know... I know Andy a little. I've talked to him sometimes, so disclaimer i guess yeah um, we've done some business with bookshop yeah yeah uh but it's a good profile and the news news is that they took on and i knew this was coming um from conversation with andy before they're launching ebooks on bookshop and it's going to be clunky yes. and he even says that one thing i like about andy is he acknowledges the difficulty of some things and does them anyway because he thinks there's the right thing to do. Because it's sort of a quixotic thing, and I should even take out that Mm -hmm. equivocation, to say we're going to build a bookshop online that won't be that much cheaper um, and it's going to compete with Amazon and we're going to confederate all these... It's in there. It's in the phrase. We're going to confederate these independent bookstores (laughs) under one roof (laughs) and try to... And it's worked, Rebecca. There's no no Mm -hmm. denying it's worked. Um, it has. And there's a lot that's gone into it. I really recommend it. I don't know if it's going to work, but I've said that about a lot of things Bookshop does. So what do I know at this point? Um, but that's one thing they've had trouble with as ebooks. And they have, there's some audiobook stuff there I don't quite understand. Because Libro, when are Libro and Bookshop going to get together in tango? Is what I need to know. Does someone need to acquire mm-hmm. someone? It feels like that's an, that pairing is natural. You need to one stop, if this to really work and to be the Amazon competitor, you need ebooks and audiobooks too. On a, on a yeah. platform, and Andy recognized that, especially from the ebook situation. The audiobook stuff—it's difficult. Raising new money, two point three million dollars, sounds mm-hmm. like I will be checking this out. If this can work, I yeah, will really I'll consider bookshop. I'll be looking at this as well, but I really um, recommend that. We'll have to get the front list for you next week. We're, we got we got other stuff to record. Go check out first edition. Listen to me, Rebecca, talk about other things. Um, I've got a new podcast. I've got a new episode coming out on Tuesday, the nineteenth. The opening segment there is me and Vanessa Diaz and Kelly Jensen, other book ride editors, and we're going to talk about the legacy and the current reading and getting ready for the movie adaptation of Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret by one Judy Blue. I Bloom. cannot I just wait. finished my rereading yesterday, and it was like a portal to being 12 years old and reading that book again. <laughs> um, did you read it when you were a kid? I did. I read it. I mean, I read almost okay. everything in my in my um, elementary school library. Okay. And let me tell you, as a 12-year-old boy, I learned a lot of things. <laughs> and I didn't even know what I, I learned. I bet you did. I learned a lot of things. <laughs> I think I may have learned about Playboy through Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. That's how big of a nerd <laughs> Amazing. I am. Amazing. The only 12-year-old boy who learned about Playboy from Judy Bloom. <laughs> I don't... It's hard to remember these things now, but... Um, I remember reading about Playboy in Are There Guys Room and, and just I don't need to do this much disclosure, but um a bit of a late bloomer I am. I was. And uh I'm not sure I would have known to even be interested in Playboy when I was twelve. Interesting when I read, when I read this book. So I think it's when I was that age yeah, reading Judy Bloom, my assumption was that no boys were gonna be reading that book or would be interested in it. That's cool. I can't wait to I listen read to Last of the Mohegans when I was in sixth grade because I was out of stuff to read in my school library. So yeah. that just I I had blown and, and I've been like 
I've been like this. When I saw the other the 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 girls reading, I was like, "What the hell is that book?" I read I read all the yeah. Nancy Drew I could get my head on. I was I had strep throat one um, one <laughs> summer, and I was down for ten days. And I had my dad bring me oh, every boy. Nancy Drew in the library. It was great. Maybe That'll my best week of my That's life. That's a good marathon. Yes, oh, yeah. Oh, we should do something with Nancy Drew. There's so much. What do you even pick? The first one. Anyway, I don't know. I got a friend, a writer friend, who's a big Nancy Drew head. We could do something. Okay. Figure it out. Yeah, yep, yeah. So I I know Vanessa and Kelly have a relation to that book. I have no idea what they're going to say. I'm very excited. I cannot wait. I'm so jealous. Can I just come to the Zoom and listen? (laughs) You know, you could subscribe wherever you get your podcast, Rebecca. It's there waiting for you. It'll show up as soon as it's ready. Yeah, all right. Not special access even for me. You you know you're going to listen to the show and give me notes on it. Rebecca listened to the last episode and she's like, actually, you've gotten the wrong order. I'm like, God damn it, she's right. So I had to go read <laughs> the show. It's really frustrating when you're writing about stuff like that. It's crazy. You're welcome. All right. <laughs> Bookriot.com slash listen. Shoot us an email, podcast at bookriot.com. Talk to y'all later. 